God, we do praise you this morning. We say with Peter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because of the work of Jesus, because of the precious blood of Christ being purchased and redeemed and bought by you and brought in to a new family, we have a new hope, a living hope. A living hope because of a living Savior, a Savior who is seated at the right hand of God, a Savior who is there to make intercession for the saints, a Savior who calls us into relationship, who has caused us to be brought together, united because of the blood of Christ. You have made us one together because of your work. Lord, I pray this morning that you would do a conditioning work, an awakening work, that those who know you as their Savior, that those who have come to you by faith, Lord, that you would call to our attention again the, the wonder of that great identity. And Lord, that as we come to understand what you have made us to be in Christ, that we would rise to the mission, to the purpose that you have called us to. That we would set aside all of those things that that are pursuits of this world, that glory that fades away that we saw several weeks ago, that glory of the grass, the glory of man, the, the pursuits of this life that are temporary. Call us to things that are eternal. Call us to higher things, greater things, eternal things. May we, as was read earlier in our service, be those who are carrying out the objectives that you have called us to, that we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which you prepared beforehand, before the foundation of the world, that we should walk in them. By the power of your Holy Spirit, by the clarity and sufficiency of the living and abiding Word of God, may it cut to the quick. May it, may it have its way in our life. And may we, as your people, live out the purposes that you've called us to. And God, there are those in this room and those who are listening to this broadcast who do not know you as their Savior, who have never entered into that relationship. God, will you please, even in these moments, begin to prepare a heart, the soil of the heart, to receive the seed of your word. Of, of your word. May it cultivate and flourish. May it bear fruit in their life and lead them not only into relationship, but into new life that can be had through this imperishable seed, the Word of God. We pray that your presence would be experienced and understood today. In Jesus' name, amen. If I were to ask you the question, what is the, the greatest threat to the Christian life? That which presents the, the greatest danger to your spirituality that which provides the, the greatest attack to you as an individual. Well, I did an internet search this morning just to see well, what are some of those ideas that, that are out there. Some propose that, or would point to the divided political landscape and, 
And, and the division that is experienced across our culture, across our nation, is, is infiltrating the church. That political divide is having its way into our midst. Some would suggest that contemporary issues are seeming to divide the church or a growing hostility to the conservative Christian value, the ethic that we would have and support, or those power structures of, of local or national government that would seek to, to impose their powers on us as a church and see, to, seek to sideline the freedoms that we enjoy as a people, particularly uh, in worship of our God. Maybe the indoctrination in schools or the bombardment that is happening in media, the, the narrative that is being presented to us and this philosophical shift, this mind shift that is happening. Maybe that is the danger to the church. Some would say that pop culture, Christian pop culture, has, has infiltrated the church and, and sought to have its way in, in conditioning us to think differently, to abandon the, the, the values that we have set our, the foundations of our faith on the authority of the scripture, the inerrancy of the word, the sufficiency for every day. Perhaps it's even our own prosperity that would seek to warm our affections and call us away from finding satisfaction in Jesus. We are tempted to think that those dangers that come against the church, those dangers that are, are most obvious in attacking us as individuals are the things that come on the outside. But I, like, I would like to present to you, I'm, I'm convinced that from our passage today, we're going to see that the dangers, the threats that come and attack your Christianity, your relationship with God are much more subtle and much more personal. The greatest danger, perhaps, within the church is within your own heart. Paul Tripp refers to this as identity amnesia. And I'm going to just give him credit. I, I'm borrowing a lot of what we're going to talk about today, the presentation material and, and the way in which he comes about it. I'm borrowing from him and uh, have to credit him and, of course, this passage for what we're going to be talking about. Identity amnesia, what is that? It is that you would forget who you are in Christ. That you would forget what Christ has purchased with his blood and made possible because of relationship with Jesus. And this identity amnesia leads to another danger, the danger of identity replacement. Because if you're not getting your identity vertically from God, then you're going to begin to seek your identity horizontally in the relationships that you have with others. We find ourselves turning to education as a means of identity. The, the rise of, of academics and the, the letters that we put behind our name to designate that we have risen to a certain level of academia that we have arrived, as it were, in terms of notoriety and scholarship. Or perhaps you'll turn to your vocation as an identity, that you are a business owner, that you are a manager, that you are a doctor or a nurse or a teacher or an engineer, or that you work in the public sector. Whatever it might be, you find your identity in your vocation. Maybe perhaps you will turn 
to your marriage or your turn to parenting. I am a husband or I am a wife or I'm a father or mother of a number of children. And so finding your identity in that relationship or finding your identity in your vocation as a homemaker, that when your children begin to leave the home and and the last one is left, now there is this diminishing, evaporating identity. You've kind of lost your way. Some might even turn to their problems and turn, to the, turn them into their identities so that their suffering and heartache and pain becomes a, a source of finding recognition or compassion from others. That problem that stands in their way of experiencing life to the full. The world is actively trying to redefine you. Not only is the definition happening internally, but, but it's, it's, it's coming from the outside as well. Now, the, we're bombarded by the advertising schemes that, that seek to, to rob your affections and, and to call you to other things than Christ. McDonald's, which would say, you deserve a what today? A break today. See, you know. Or Nike, that would say, just do it. You can make it happen. Put on the shoe, and the impossible is at your fingertips. Or De Beers, which would say, a diamond is forever. That's eternal. That's valued. That is something you need to have for yourself. Or Hallmark, which says, when you care enough to send the very best. Or Burger King, have it your way. We have been conditioned to think about identity in terms of self. We've been conditioned to think that that identity begins and ends with me. But Peter keeps returning to the foundation of identity. He wants you to understand that your identity is not independent of the family in which God has placed you. He's talking about groups of people. A group of individuals, going back to chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, a group of, of, of individuals who, who could have succumbed to this danger of identity, finding identity in their problems. We saw they're scattered. We saw they're strangers. We saw they're foreigners. They, they, they could have embraced that identity. We're, we're not citizens of this world. We, we're, we're outcasts. We're not experiencing the benefits of, of what should be afforded to us. We are victims. Our lands, our homes, and and maybe even in some cases their children were stripped out from underneath them and confiscated. Their privilege were were taken away. Their heritage had been stolen. They could have said, we're isolated. We're forgotten. So we need to hunker down. We need to, to help ourselves. We need to just do it, as Nike would say. But we, too, are confronted with this danger of allowing the pressures of life to turn us inward. Turning the Christian life into some personal experience with God. And and certainly, it is meant to be personal. But we we want to understand that this personal experience with God is meant to be a shared experience because God has placed us into a family. We're going to look at all the designations that God uses for this family, this community that he's placed us in. And so your identity as a believer is not and cannot be understood separate from the identity that we have with one another. To turn it into a Jesus and me kind of religion, 
This is not the Christianity of the New Testament. That is not the Christianity of 1 Peter. That's not what we see. Going all the way back to chapter 1, verse 1, it says, to those who are elect, plural, collective, you are together, you are those who have been called by God into something significant. Chapter 1, verse 3, he has caused us collectively together to be born again. Chapter 1, verse 5, who collectively are being kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. And on and on it goes to to express our corporate oneness. That your identity is attached to the work of God in your life personally, but also corporately. From the outset, Peter has been seeking to remind the church of something. To remind us that you are not brought into relationship with God independent of the rest of the family. It's easy when we come to a room like this and we gather together in worship all the diversity that is represented here both economically and educationally male and female different backgrounds in different parts of the country different parts of the world different life experiences it's easy for us to come into this room and for this worship supposedly unifying experience to be no different than your time at shopping in the grocery store or your time of being in a restaurant where you're also gathered with a lot of people who are very different from you, but there's no interrelationship. There's no, there's no connection as, as, a, as a body of, of individuals. It's easy to come to church just like that. It's easy to come to get something, to receive the service, to have no relationship with the quote-unquote customers. But that is not the identity that you have been given. And it's not the Jesus who spilled his precious blood. That's not what he came to purchase. He came to purchase something significant. Something that puts us into a family. So as we come to chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, we we, we pick up some terms that we've already seen in chapter 2, verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 5 says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, the context of worship, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We pick up that theme and we now carry it through to consider the fourfold identity that God has given to us. And there's nothing flashy, there's nothing quite very creative about the points today. You'll be able to see them right from the text. But we're going to begin with, you are a chosen race. We are a chosen race. Let me read this for us and we'll move our way through. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not, had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Right at the outset we see, but you are a chosen race or a chosen generation, depending upon your translation. This first word is contrastive in nature. It's meant to help you see there is something different about you. We saw at the end of our time last week 
that there was something to contrast you with this group in verses 7 and 8. This group in verse 7 is the group that, that do, does not believe in God. They have set their heart against God. They have rejected God. We, we see that in, in verse 4, in verse 7 of chapter 2. Rather than coming to the living stone, rather than receiving and accepting this invitation uh, of God into relationship, they, they reject Him. They've got things better on their mind. They don't need Him after all. And so they reject this living stone, and as a result of that, we find in verse 8, they stumble. They stumble, and they show, they show the condemnation that is written over their life. They show that those who are disobedient, who disbelieve and disobey, are condemned, as we find in John chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Jesus came into this world to call you to faith so that you would have relationship with him and enjoy the benefits of what we're going to look at uh, right now. But the, the contrastive word helps you understand you cannot have it on your terms. You can only have it on God's terms by coming into faith, by coming to the living stone, by bowing the knee, by accepting him as your Lord and Savior, by confessing your sin, repenting from them, turning away from them, and turning to God, making him your Lord and Savior. Even now, if you have not come to Jesus, if you've not come to this living stone, you can, in this moment, come to the stone. But if you do not, the inevitable conclusion is condemnation written across your, your heart. But Peter says to those people in verse 9, you're not like that. You're not those who disbelieve. You're not those who disobey. You are those who have come. And because you have come, you are those who have demonstrated the fact that you are chosen by God. He has set his affection on you. We've seen this multiple times. Chapter 1, verse 2. You are the elect church, the chosen church. Chapter 1, verse 15. He who called you. This is the, also the word of eklektos, or kaleo is the actual verb form. Chapter 2, verse 4, speaking of Jesus as the elect and chosen precious cornerstone. Chapter 2, verse 6, God laid in Zion a chosen cornerstone. Chapter 2, now verse 9, that you are a chosen people. And we're going to see in just a, a few moments, chapter 2, verse 9, called, which is this kaleo, called out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is the inescapable truth of God's sovereignty. He is in control. Will you bow the knee to his lordship in your life? Will you come to the stone? We are what we are because of God's divine initiative. Nothing should be more satisfying. Nothing should bring you more comfort than knowing that God is the one who's called you into relationship with him. Uh, Peter, when talking about identity, can't talk about identity in anything but a collective way. Notice we see four times in verse 9, he, he speaks of the collective. You are a holy nation, not a holy person. You're a royal priesthood, 
not a royal priest or priestess. You're a chosen race or a chosen nation, not just a son or a daughter. And you are a people for his own possession, not an individual. We experience and embrace identity amnesia when we forget our identity in Christ, what he has, co- he has come to purchase for us. The question for us is, are you living a privatized Christianity? Are you living the kind of Christianity that sets yourself aside, that, that is the Jesus and me kind of Christianity, that escapes the connectedness that, that God has set to establish through his son, Jesus Christ? I want you to understand that your growth in grace is connected and can only flourish as you embrace the unity, the family, the community, spiritual community that God has placed you in. So who knows you? And who do you know? Not just an acquaintance that you wave to across the sanctuary, but, but a person or, or a life or a family that, that you've committed yourself to, that you're walking together with, that you are in relationship with, you're growing in faith in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is that person? How are you taking this seriously? How are you recognizing the identity that God has placed over your life and taking it seriously? You are a chosen race. This word race is the word genos. It's, uh, it comes from the word genomai. Uh, the word is just the word to beget or to birth or to be born. The offspring or the posterity. It goes back to the most basic forms of existence. Peter is saying, you are begotten of God. You belong to him in that he has birthed you. You are, part, you are generated from him. Spiritual life has come from God. You owe it to him. He has caused you to be born again. You've been brought into this new family. You experience this new ancestry that he has caused you to enjoy. And you notice that through this passage, he uses all of these groups, these group words that would seem to differentiate people and groups in our culture. Nation, generation, holy people. And in God's economy, they are one. He has caused them to be one, regardless of background, regardless of heritage, regardless of experience. Uh, The experience of God through faith is what unifies them together, makes them one people. The people of God. We see an indication of this in Isaiah chapter 43. Peter keeps going back to the Old Testament. He, He wants this group of Gentiles and Jews to recognize that this isn't just a new program that God has. It, it, this isn't plan B. This is something that he has determined from the beginning of the foundation of the world, and, and he's beginning to, to build this out for this church. Isaiah 43, verse 1 says, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you, are mine. To my chosen people, which in the Septuagint is to my chosen race. It's what we see here. The, the words 
that are imported into our passage, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. This this, uh, prophecy spoken to the people of Israel, to the covenant people, this group of individuals who experience the, the intimate relationship with God in the Old Testament is now being applied to the church. We are now those who get to experience the benefits of promise to Israel by being brought into this new covenant relationship with God through faith in Christ. We belong to God. And because we belong to God, we belong to one another. How are we actively pursuing that belonging, that unifying aspect? How are we expressing a commitment to this truth in how we live our life from day to day? You are a chosen race, but second, you are a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. And these are not new identities. These these are descriptions of the same identity in many different ways. They they, want to bring the facet. He he wants to turn this this diamond in his hand so you can see the the beauty and and marvel at the wonder of what God has accomplished for us. (laughs) Yes, you are a chosen race, but you are also this royal priesthood, a new facet of, of, of this new fellowship, this new community that God has created. Royal in that it is kingly, Royal in that it has a relationship to the king. Priesthood in that it is those who represent uh, God and and worship God. So what does Peter mean by these words? Well, again, moving back to the very beginnings of a a relationship with God in, in Exodus chapter 19, he wants to the people of this church to recognize that that it is not isolated from what God has done before. This is at Mount Sinai, as as God is establishing a covenant with uh, his people. This, This old covenant relationship, he says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So what is the significance of this? Well, there are several, but first it depicts access to the very presence of God. Access to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Access into the throne room of the Almighty God. You have kingly access. Access to the one who created all things, heaven and earth. He rules all things, visible and invisible, principalities and powers. All things are under his dominion, under his care, and you have access to sovereign glory, the glory of God. Second, we are called to a life of sacrifice. As a priesthood, you are called to a life of service and sacrifice to that king so that we offer all that we have. Not using our life in the way that we would use it, not not using it as a resource for ourselves, but as a resource for greater worship. That we see the the benefits and the blessings, the the gifts of God to us, whatever those gifts might be, physical and material blessings that God has given to us, giftings that he has given to you, special Uh, responsibilities and positions that he's given to you, you see them as resources to serve. 
to serve others and to serve your king. I offer all that I have to him because I belong to him. MacArthur has said and pointed out that we also have, because of this term of being a royal priesthood, by God's grace, and somehow it's beyond comprehension that we will reign with him. These two terms put together, somehow there's going to be the ability for us to partner with God in reigning over this world. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. Paul says this, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Unimaginable. How is it possible that, that God has not only ushered us into relationship, allowed us to experience and participate in glory through His Holy Spirit. The, the indwelling Holy Spirit of glory is residing in your life and you can experience and enjoy that benefit of God's glory, the inheritance that we have to look forward to in heaven where we're seated with Him in the heavenly places. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses uh, 4 to, to 8, and then this, to be able to reign with him, to exercise dominion. And that dominion has a focus. The focus of that dominion is to lead others into worship of God. Are you one who has committed yourself to that royal priestly duty of worshiping God day by day? Thirdly, we see we are a holy nation. We are a holy nation we see that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This word nation is used predominantly through the, the New Testament and then also in the Old Testament to, to designate uh, those who were outside of the people of God, those nations of Gentiles, those were, who were distant from him, who were cut off, who were without hope. And now God is redefining this term to help you understand that as a nation now, you are not cut off. If you are in Christ, he's creating a whole new community, a community that's set apart as those who are holy, those who are, are obedient, those who, as we saw in chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, those who are purchased for obedience to Jesus Christ. Again, Peter is drawing from Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, where he talks about this holy nation. Again, helping you to understand that the God's plan for you as a, as a person who is brought into this family is not independent of the work that he has created and founded since the beginning of time. You are those who God has called it's deeper than race or gender or ethnicity or social class. We're no longer divided by that. We have been brought together in Christ, as we see in Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 and 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. 
And what that means is God does not show partiality. He does not designate those who are special and those who are not. Those who are on the inside and those who are uh, removed and on the outside. That because of Christ and because of faith in God, we're brought together into this new family. We experience all the benefits of this, regardless of who you are. Verse 29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to promise. Finally, we see this fourth designation of our identity. We are God's possession. He says specifically, a people for his own possession. I hear the, in this title, I I hear the words of the Apostle Paul who says, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. God has purchased you. He has purchased you to be his own. This is a title of ownership, a title of indebtedness, a title of responsibility, a title of service, but it's also a title of belonging. You belong. God says, you're mine. You belong to me. I'm calling you my own possession. You are mine. This people which throughout the, the New Testament has always been seen as part people who are part of this covenant community, this special people, those whom God has shown his favor. He's shown his face on this group of people. This people are the same people that you and I get to enjoy the, the benefits of, of this community because of the work of God. He, by his grace, in the work of his son, Jesus, calls you his own. You belong to him. God has willingly taken you to himself and made you his own. You may never experience success. You may never fulfill your own expectations. You may seem to yourself to be a complete and utter failure, but guess what? If you are in Christ, you belong to Jesus. You are his. You may live in a broken body that restricts certain abilities and freedoms. You may feel limited in many ways, but if you are in faith in Christ, you belong to his. And he says, you are mine. You may feel you could never be as influential as that person over there. That you could never make the kind of impact as that individual in history. But if you belong to Jesus, he says, you are mine. You may have a sketchy past. You may have a broken history. You may have come from terrible beginnings, but if Jesus has rebirthed you through his word, he has caused you to be born again, he's brought you into relationship, you belong to him. He says, you are mine. This was the ultimate goal of God's promise to Abraham. Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. He says, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The whole Jewish nation looked back to Abraham to say, we experience the benefits of God because we belong to Abraham. 
But God says if you are coming to God in faith, you are a part of that special promise. Those benefits apply to you. That promise that God made to Abraham of making him a great nation and building them as a people of God who occupy and enjoy the presence of God. You belong to that group of people. This is no accident. Human history was waiting for this moment. The moment when Jesus would provide access to God through faith in him. Where he would tear down that middle wall of division and make a way. He preached peace to you who are far off and to those who are near. He provided access to God through his spirit. Are you enjoying that access? Are you remembering that identity that you have made, been made the people of God? Don't forget your, your identity. Don't allow identity amnesia to creep into your heart. Don't forget that you have been given also a mission. This fourfold identity that you have focuses in on one purpose, one mission, one singular focus that you have been called to. This priority of God that we find at the end of verse 9. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This singular mission that we find here, two different aspects. We see that it's a mission that points to his excellencies. You've been given the privilege of proclaiming the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We don't first proclaim an, an ideology. We don't first proclaim a theology or a doctrine, or a creed. We don't first proclaim a church or a a group of individuals in a local setting or a certain activity that that we find some sort of connection over. We proclaim Him. And we don't offer the world a system of redemption. We offer the world a Redeemer. So we tell the story. We tell the story of what God has accomplished in and through us. We tell the story of of how he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We we talk about and and bring forward the brokenness. We let people in on the, the story of us so they can see that the hero of our story is Jesus. And there is hope for them because they see that the brokenness of of us can be repaired and redeemed because of the powerful work of the gospel and the powerful work of our Redeemer who makes everything one in Him and whole in Him. So we tell this story. Are you timid or afraid to tell of His excellencies? Would you rather accept the temporary glory of human acceptance or point to the eternal glory of God who has radically altered everything in your life. Going back to chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, all flesh is grass and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Which glory are you chasing? Hmm. So often... I'm chasing the wrong glory. What about you? We may proclaim. I I love that. It's in the subjunctive because it's, it's offering to you an option, 
that you can work through this immense privilege that you have been called to. You might do this. And, and everyone who's, who, who has been brought into this identity, who understands who they are now in Christ, will say, me, me, me. I want to be that person. Let me be that person who tells a story. But guess what? Everyone in this room can do this work as God has called your heart to proclaim your unique story of grace, what God has accomplished in your life through his power. And it's a story that continues. It, it doesn't end. It doesn't, it doesn't just point back to a, to a point in time. It talks about the faithfulness of God, the mercies of God. We're going to look at in just a moment here. We speak about the excellencies. We also speak about the mercies of God. A mission that points to his mercies. Once, it says verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is a perfect passive participle, which means it points back to something that's happened in the past, and it has this ripple effect of results that continue on into the future. And the fact that it's a participle means it's a part of everyday life. It's, it's a part of the expression and character and flow of, of who you are as an individual. This new identity that God has given to you must be expressed in reflecting and, and wondering in the mercies of God. Chapter 1, verse 3, where Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of his great mercy. And I think about Isaiah or was it, yes, Jeremiah, excuse me, in Lamentations chapter 3. He says, through the Lord's mercies, you are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new. Every morning, great is his faithfulness. You reflect on, on Sunday mercy. Then you enjoy, and you welcome, and you, you pray and plead with God for Monday mercy. And then Tuesday comes, and you need a fresh supply of mercy. That's what God does. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily mercies. And as the people around you see this affection for mercy, this existing and enjoying God's mercy, they say, oh, I need, I'm in need of mercy. You have seemed to have found where mercy, the supply of mercy is. How do I get to enjoy and partake of that mercy? If you're going to live out your amazing identity, you need to remember. Maybe the single most significant danger is the danger of forgetting. You forget who you are and you immediately sin because it becomes so seductive. You forget who you are and, and self-sufficiency begins to rise in your heart. You forget who you are and individualism becomes easier. You forget who you are and complacency in the Christian life begins to rise in your heart. You forget who you are and there is a striving for success, for position, for outside friendships and this all-consuming ambition to to have what is in glory here instead of glory there. And when you do this, Christianity lives on the border of your hearts and not in the interior. Your identity is pushed to the side. And I think there are thousands of Christians who live there. Their faith 
is more vibrant in formal settings. It's more vibrant on Sunday mornings or during scheduled events. But in the interior of their life are these massive contradictions. But those who call to mind their true identity will thrive as those who are part of a community. A community that has been birthed by God for special purpose. A purpose of proclaiming his praises. There are several ways that you can carry out and, and express your identity. Your corporate oneness, the ministry that you have, the, the worshiping, serving kind of ministry that you have. And, and, and I just want to encourage you to come tonight. This is one uh, very simple step of, of building community. We're having uh, um, Sunday nights in the park. I forgot what the, what the name was for a moment. This is a, you know, it's not anything flashy or special. It's just a way for us to get together in an informal environment. Uh, bring your lawn chair. We'll, we'll, we'll come to just enjoy what, what Christ has accomplished for us in, in taking communion tonight together. And then I just encourage you to stick around and, and talk and get to know somebody. Kids, play games and just enjoy some, some fun. We don't have any scheduled events. We don't have anything planned. We just have planned to create space for you to, to be together and to practice the oneness that God has purchased for you by his blood. We also have a number of ways that you can serve. And, and I would encourage you, come to a service and serve in a service. Come to a service and serve in a service. We have two, if you haven't noticed. And we have lots of needs. We have lots of opportunities for you to plug in to the nursery ministry, to children's ministry. We have soccer camp that's coming up. I know that Pastor Ben is looking for more volunteers. And by the way, you don't have to be a soccer star because you can either sit at the table and, and welcome in new families. You can mix it up with, with some folks that are coming from our community. You can, you can uh, pour drinks and, and help kids feel uh, like they're not alone. We've got some youngins here, and maybe they need just a, uh, somebody to look up to, a mentor to look up to. There, there are a lot of opportunities, and, and we can find a way for you to serve in your giftedness. The media team needs some more help. Greeters and ushers need help. I'm concerned that COVID has created a heart of individualism, a heart to retreat. Let's let somebody else do the job. Let's let somebody else carry out that responsibility because uh, I've got things to do. May we not experience identity amnesia that leads to identity um, unawareness. We are not aware of the identity that God has brought us into. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray that we wouldn't succumb to these dangers, but that we would embrace and recognize the significance of this fourfold identity that you've called us to. And this purpose, this singular purpose of proclaiming your praises. May the story of God, the story of grace resound in our hearts, our minds, our conversations throughout the week. And may you be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming. Hope to see you tonight. God bless you.